Hey there, Duke fans. Welcome to episode 392 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. I am Jason Evans. I'm here as your host this week. I'm joined by Donald Wine. Sam Klein could not make it. Sam was, Sam's got some busy stuff going on in his life right now. He's really sorry, uh, but he has left the two of us to carry the ball forward without him. Donald, how you doing? Doing good. I'm in L.A. for the women's national team games coming up this week, starting tomorrow, actually. So I'm looking at SoFi Stadium uh, outside my window, which is a great, nice little site. But glad to be here. But I'm glad, even more glad that we pulled out that win last night. Amen. And I'm going to confess something to the to the audience out there. This is our second take. This is our second <laughs> attempt at this. Donald and I did an entire podcast. A good 45 minutes. It was great. It was banger. We were on fire. And I forgot to record it. <laughs> It, it was all heat checks too, all of them. Oh, it was great stuff. So hopefully we will recreate the magic now here for you. But if this is coming to you a little bit late, it's because we recorded it earlier. And then well, actually we didn't record it earlier. We did it earlier and we didn't record it. It was just for the two of us. It was just you and me, man. We were the ones enjoying it. Practice makes perfect. perfect. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's get to the game. And uh, the Blue Devils defeated Wake Forest in a game that was way too close for comfort, 76 to 74. Felt like it was going to be another Duke blowout. Felt like, you know, the Blue Devils were going to take care of business at home in a way they haven't been much lately. Uh, they had a 19-point lead at one point in the second half, and then all that went away. Went away very quickly. <laughs> Wake Forest came back very, very fast. And before we get to discussing the game, as we always do, we have to do our headlines. Donald, I will come to you first. What is your headline from this contest? So my headline is, Duke hangs on by a halo. I like it. I like it. The, the halo, uh, you explained it to me earlier, but explain it to the audience. What do you mean by the halo? Yeah, so so basically the cylinder, you know, like like a football halo where you can't enter that area. Uh, it preludes the final shot of the game where the, uh, the cylinder was breached. And because of that, we were able to tip dunk him in the game. I like it. I like it a lot. That is definitely the story of what happened at the end. Um, my headline, you know how much we love alliteration. Here we go. Get ready for it. Duke's desperation dunk drops Demon Deacons. Oh, yeah. I just did six Ds in a row, my friend. And, and to some extent, defense, <laughs> D, was the story of the game for Duke. <laughs> you had to enunciate every one of those Ds, too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Say that fast. Duke's desperation dunks drops Demon Deacons. Say that five times fast. You're, you're better than I am. I, I'm not going to try. I'm not even going to try. <laughs> hey, we also got, we got a ton of headline submissions from listeners. We love the fact that you guys are reaching out to us at dbrpodcast at gmail.com and sending us your headlines, your comments. It's great. Uh, we are not going to read all of those on the air. Not that they weren't all fabulous, but they weren't all fabulous. <laughs> but we're going to read two of them that were really good. The first one comes from Ronald Pereira. Ronald wrote, Duke barely hangs on in the second half with K missing. But I have to explain that. He didn't actually write the word Duke. He wrote D-U space E. So visually, if it was a newspaper headline, the when he says K missing, the K is missing from Duke. So Ronald gets points for being clever. But the best one, Andrew Bloom. I mean, this guy absolutely rocked it. Andrew Bloom's headline is Duke exercises demons in baptism by Shire. Baptism by Shire. That's some clever yes. stuff there. That's the best one we've received so far. Like we've gotten a lot of great ones over the last couple of weeks since we asked people to start sending them. That was the best one we've received so far. So hats off to that, man. Yeah. Andrew Bloom has set the standard, everybody. Now you all have to see if you can match it. 
So let's get to talking about the game. Um, and we're going to do the good stuff first. And the first big good thing is Coach K is going to be fine, everybody. Uh, at, uh, in the first half, Coach K was not doing well. At halftime, he was checked out and they said, you know, he's ill and he, he should not come out and coach the second half. There were uh, folks from, uh, you know, the training staff, Duke Medical, who were checking on him. Um, John Shire said in the post game, and of course, because of that, John Shire took over coaching the team in the second half. Um, he, he said in the post game that Coach K is is feeling fine because Duke got the win. <laughs> uh, but we know that Coach K was still in the building by the end of the game, that he spoke to the team after the game. So hopefully it seems like it, things aren't too bad there for uh, for Coach K. And, and we would expect him to be back on the sidelines very soon. And, and good to see John Shire. You know, he, he, John Shire said this is the first time he got to coach in front of the real Cameron crazies and get to really feel um, you know, the impact of, of the crowd on a team that he was in charge of, which was great experience for him. Yeah. And I, first of all, I, I think we all agree. We hope coach K is, is fine and well. I know uh, there were people saying at the game that he was being tended to during the first half, but the fact that he was able to talk to the players after the game, and that it seems like it was more just a precautionary let's, you know, hold you out for a little while. Uh, I think that's good. So hopefully he's doing better today. And of course, the rest of the season, uh, we're going to need coach uh, down the line, but hats off to John Shire and the coaching staff for stepping up in his absence and doing that on the fly. Cause it's not like they predicted at halftime, Hey, we're going to do this and, and hats off to the team. I mean, the team responded very well in the first part of that second half by coming out and they were playing very good basketball uh, inspired basketball to make sure that, you know, it was a good ride because as we know, you know, winning doesn't cure all ills, but it cures a lot of them. I mean, you're not as hurt the next morning after a victory. It's, it's just, it's just science. Amen. Exactly. All right, Donald. So let's start with the real good stuff. Um, uh, what do you got for me? I, I suspect you're going to begin with the big man. Oh, yes. Big Mark Williams. It, again, one of the most efficient players in college basketball right now. Honestly, you know, between us and between all of you out there listening, at this point, he should be easily the, the front runner for defensive player of the year in the ACC, probably up there nationally. First team all ACC should be in consideration at this point, just given by how he's played on both ends of the floor. And he did a lot last night. He, he has, you know, has increased his game. It's not just all dunks, but on the other end, I know he was only credited with one block, but it feels like he altered 15 others um, that he's not going to get credit. It's for always that way, isn't it? You know? Yeah, it, his defensive presence is there. And, you know, we were talking about this a little bit last in the last couple of episodes about how when he goes up for a block, it opens himself up for someone else to come behind him and get an offensive rebound. Well, he led the team in rebounds too. He had, he had a double double, he had 10 rebounds. So the fact that he was still going up to alter shots, but still being able to close out defenders and get their offensive uh, borders and get the rebounds and go the other way. And then on the offensive end, a lot of those trips, he was rewarded at the end by getting the ball and being able to slam it home. So I love what I'm seeing from this kid and he's only getting better game by game. You know, you talked about the dunks, but the thing that impressed me about Mark Williams is he is showing more and more confidence in his post moves. Um, he had he had a little sky hook at one point. He had a little baseline jumper that he almost took. It almost looked like he threw it kind of with two hands. I'm not it wasn't mm -hmm. like the greatest looking form, but it, it went in. Um, but he's really like I say, he's really showing a lot more confidence in his ability to finish uh, around the basket and in the lane. And, and I want to talk a little bit more about uh, about his defense, because this was a game where Wake tried to bring him away from the basket. Dallas Walton, who played a lot of center for Wake Forest, seven-footer, was, was going outside. 
and, and taking three pointers and trying to draw Mark Williams out of the lane so that Mark Williams wouldn't be able to protect the rim. Wake knew that that was a huge part of what Duke tries to do on defense. The other day, Wake Forest lost to Miami, and in that game, Dallas Walton didn't take a single three-pointer. Against Duke, he took seven. But I want to credit Mark Williams because he was able to disturb Dallas Walton, not let Dallas Walton just shoot from the perimeter constantly, while also getting back uh, and being on defense in the lane and, and stopping Wake from driving to the hole. I thought that was really impressive on Mark's part. It was advanced defense. And then the other thing I wanted to mention about Mark was, you know, he played 26 minutes this game which is the most he's played in the past seven games. I would love it if Duke could figure out a way to consistently get Mark Williams 26, 28, hey, maybe even 30 minutes sometimes because there's no question about it. Duke is a better team when Mark Williams is in the game. Theo John is an outstanding um, backup big man, one of the best backup big men in the country. I am clear on that. But Mark Williams is another level, and, and I want us to see if we can find a way to play him a little bit more increasing those minutes while also maintaining the level of efficiency that he's been demonstrating. I Absolutely. Mean, as we mentioned last night, he went eight for 11. He, he had the worst output that he's had in two weeks going eight for 11. He missed three shots. He missed three shots all of last week. He missed three shots last night. But again, adding those minutes while, while keeping that efficiency the same is what we like to see. And he did that last night. And then some, because again, he's affecting the game up both ends of the floor. Hey, and as long as we're talking about Mark Williams, we have to discuss the final play, <laughs> the game-winning tip-in. Of course. Yes. Yeah, so Ben Swain on Twitter. And by the way, folks, if you don't follow Ben Swain on Twitter, I, I'm not sure you're a Duke fan. Dude is just outstanding. He, he's both very observational and also very funny and, and insightful. Um, he, he had a, a tweet that I think sums up this play so beautifully, the, the, the game-winning tip by Mark Williams. He said, I've never seen a play look so obviously illegal in real time and then so obviously legal on replay. It was kind of amazing to me because I felt exactly the same. I saw it and I was like, oh, for sure, that's goaltending. It's basket interference. And, and then you saw the replay and Mark had, in fact, waited long enough for the ball to come out of the rim before he tapped it back in and, and slammed it home and gave the Blue Devils the victory. So I, I think for me, I obviously, you know, watched the game with some blue, blue devil colored eyes. But when it first happened, I was like, no, absolutely not. That was in that counts. And I saw the ref on the other side immediately wave it off. And I'm like doing the whole like, oh, he couldn't see it. He's out of, you know, and we'll talk about the refs because at that point I was I was done with the refs. I, I did I had nothing more to say to them. But when we saw the first replay, I was like, okay, we're good. We're we're if they don't, if they don't, if 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 they don't do this and give this to us, then we should just call in the rest of the season. But it, it went in, it counted, and we were able to get the victory. Yeah, we're gonna talk about the refs later, definitely. Uh, but before we uh -huh. get to that, we're still on the good stuff. And and the next thing I want to do is I want to move over one position, power forward. Paulo Bancaro, I thought, had a really interesting game for him because he struggled. I mean, look. He didn't score in the first half. He was clearly struggling with his shot. But I love the way Paulo figured out other ways to impact this game. He had some really advanced, he had six assists, and some of them were really advanced passing moves. Uh, just smart ball relocation. I, I wish Sam was here talking to us because Sam has talked extensively about how much he wants Paulo to find his teammates better and make better passes. This was outstanding on Paulo Bancaro's part. And then the other thing was uh, his defense down the stretch. The, Jake LaRavia is an outstanding basketball player. 
and Wake Forest was running their offense through Jake Laravia. And in the final five minutes, final four minutes, when it was really a game, Paula Bancaro played some of his best defense of the entire season. He forced Laravia into bad shots. He forced Laravia into turnovers. Paulo had that unbelievable block shot with about three minutes to go. That was, you know, just an, un, an incredible play. I think it's real simple. And I haven't said this at all, all year. There's no way Duke wins this game without Paulo Bancaro playing defense the way he did. For him to do that at winning time, to me, was a real, a real tip of the cap to him. I will talk about him a little bit in the bad, but I will say this. This is, he had a tremendous game last night because he, he learned, he's learning how to impact the game in other ways other than just scoring. When his scoring is not there, and we've seen it, he's been in a scoring route the past couple of weeks. He's been able last night to be able to affect the game in other areas you know he he had the assists he had the rebounds he you know affecting shots as well on the other end of the floor and like you said playing defense I think that is the confidence that he needs to know to say hey even if the ball's not going in for me or even if I'm not getting my touches on offense I can still figure out a way to affect the game and I will say that translate we're going to move another position over window more Mr. 10 5 5 got 10 5 5 last night because again, even though on the offensive end, he wasn't as efficient as he normally is or we've come to expect from him, he has affected the game in other areas, namely rebounding and distributing the ball through assists and defense. I want to talk about Wendell's defense because Alondis Williams, front runner for ACC Player of the Year, what uh, was pressured into a terrible first half. And that was mostly Wendell Moore. There was some Trevor Keels some A.J. Griffin, but for the most part, it was Wendell Moore guarding Alondis Williams. Uh, Alondis ended up with four turnovers in this game. When Duke beat Wake, uh, you know, about a month ago, Alondis had seven turnovers. That's because Duke makes it hard for him to make things easy for his teammates. And that is a huge part of Duke's success in this game. You know, the other thing I want to talk about really quick, and it relates to Wendell Moore, and I just mentioned Trevor Keels and Paulo Bancaro, is Duke's shot selection. This has been something that I've been talking about constantly, Donald, as you know. Uh, and, I, and I look at Bart Torvik on his website. He tracks mid-range shots. And, and I hate mid-range shots. People who listen to our podcast know this. Torvik has been tracking Duke's mid-range shots. And in this game, Duke took 15 mid-range you know, jumpers. I'd kind of like it if we were a few less than that, but they hit seven out of 15. And what that says to me is, they were taking the right kind of mid-range shots. They, if Duke keeps the, our mid-rangers to the mid-teens, not getting up into the 20s, if we hit better than 40% of those mid-range shots, which are the worst shots on the floor, that is a really good thing. And for Wendell Moore, Paula Bancaro, and Trevor Keels to have had a game where they shot a combined nine for 30, I'm going to repeat that, our three primary shot creators, Wendell, Paulo, Trevor, were nine for 30. For them to have not taken a bunch of more bad shots, I think is a great thing. Even though they didn't shoot well, for the most part, they were not taking just really bad mid-range shots. And, and I can live with that. And they figured out other ways to help Duke win in a game where they weren't filling it up the way they usually are. And one of the ways that they figured out how to affect the game was spreading the ball around and making sure everyone was getting inside the action. I think the best play of the game was the play – like late in the first half where the ball oh, was moving around yeah. and, and everyone basically got the ball two or three times and it ended up in the corner to Jeremy Roach who hits a wide open three. That's the basketball we're looking for, you know, getting a lot of assists, making sure the ball movement was there. I think we had 17 assists 
on you know 26 made baskets. So that's the range you want to be in where you're getting everybody active. And again, it's a very easy way for someone to get involved in the offense without actually putting the ball in the net. So even with the scoring rests that we've had from some of these players, they are making sure that other t- other players are getting in, getting the ball. And it led to a lot of open threes. Jeremy Roach had a couple uh, in the first half. AJ Griffin had three or four, uh, I want to say, in the first half where he was yeah. just wide open and all I had to do is figure out how many how many times he wanted to dribble before he shot it. Just great, great ball movement from Duke last night. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned Jeremy Roach. My last thing I have in the good is I did want to shout out Jeremy Roach because this is a guy that, that I've been banging on a lot lately. Um, and, and he has not been playing well. It's been a couple of weeks since we saw Jeremy Roach have a good game for Duke, and he really had a good game in this game. As we expected, as we predicted on the preview, Jeremy Roach went back to the bench. Trevor Keels moved back into the starting lineup, and rather than pout, rather than not play well, Jeremy Roach responds by going from by going to the bench with a with a, his best game in the past couple of weeks, especially in the first half. Really confident. I mean, like, how crazy is that? Dude gets sent to the bench and gets more confident. I, I was shocked to see it. And that confidence, you know, mostly showed itself in the first half. But I want to point out in the second half, when Wake was raining threes, when Wake was making their big comeback, Jeremy Roach had a play where he took the ball in the lane, went to the hole. Now, he was guarded by like three different Wake Forest players. I'm not sure it was the greatest shot I've ever seen a Duke player take, but he, he took it with confidence. He stemmed the tide and, and stopped that big run by Wake Forest. It was a hugely important basket from Jeremy Roach. And, and I, if he can really embrace this role, which is a lesser role than what he's had, um, I think it's a really good thing for Duke and really important that we get a little bit of a punch from him when he's in the game. I, I really love his character. I'll just say this about everything. You know, it's very hard for someone. It's very understandable for somebody to pout when they're in the starting lineup, then they're going to the bench then they go to the starting lineup, and they go back to the bench. He's been embracing every single role as an opportunity for him to succeed in that new role. So I really like that, you know, he didn't take it as a demotion and and I don't think it should have been a demotion. It was more of a, Hey, here's your role in this team. Now you're going to do this from the bench. Uh, early starting on the bench. And I think he embraces that role, you know, as well as anyone I've seen. So hats off to Jeremy Roach for just embracing these new opportunities as they come about and being versatile and just being flexible in the sense of responding very, very well whenever that new opportunity presents itself. All right, Donald, are we done with the good? Time to get to the bad? Let's go with the bad. All right, I'm going to let you lead it off. What, what, what's your first item? What's the first thing you saw that you're like, oh my God, how did that happen? Well, so for me, I, I, I go back to Paul Bancaro, uh, because while I think he had a good game, obviously he's in a scoring ride. And I, I don't think that this is a necessarily a huge bad, but it's concerning in the sense that I want to see a renewed focus to get him on the scoreboard through making shots, getting hit active in the offense through scoring and being the dominant player we saw in the early part of the season. He's in a scoring ride. Right. And that happens from time to time. I like that last night he was able to take that and make an impact in other areas on the floor. But I think the best version of Duke involves Paulo Bancaro being a focal point in the offense, being the go-to guy when it comes to scoring and him just being his dominant self. And he hasn't shown that in the last couple of weeks. I'm hoping that we're able to see that progress and use the confidence that he got from the other areas of his game and use that going forward to help on the offensive end. Because I think, the only major question for Duke is, you know, when the, when crunch time comes down to it, who's going to be the guy 
And most people thought this season, Paulo Bencaro was going to be the guy when it comes to getting clutch buckets or getting buckets down the stretch. We've seen him take over games. I want to see him go back to that. So I wanted to talk very quickly about Trevor Keels, who really struggled from the field. Trevor's been playing great lately and uh, gets put back into the starting lineup and promptly goes back into a funk. He's one for seven on this game, but, uh, you know, and, and that's bad. Uh, I, I think part of it is that Wake Forest is is really big. I mean, like, and not only is Wake a big team, but they they went bigger than usual in this game. I think they recognized that that their size could bother Duke, like at the rim, and so they were quite often playing like four guys who were six eight or taller, and three guys who were six ten or taller, who were all just like packed into the middle to prevent Duke from getting you know looks at uh, at the rim, and and Trevor Keels really struggled finishing in the lane. Um, despite all of that, my, my Trevor Keels bad is tinged with a piece of good, which is that I said he was one for seven. The only shot he hit was a massive, huge three pointer with six minutes left. Duke was only up two points. Wake had come almost all the way back and, and Duke desperately needed a basket and Trevor Keels like brought the ball down and just, you know, on his own off the dribble on the move, nailed a three pointer, like no problems at all. I don't know that again, you know, like I said about Jeremy Roach's shot earlier, I don't know that it was the best shot. If he'd missed it, I would have been freaking out, but he made it shows a lot of guts, shows a lot of confidence. So as much as I thought Trevor Keels is in the bad column, I wanted to mention that little piece of it. That's good. And, and by the way, uh, he, he did that, you know, sort of just after Wake Forest had had an incredible run. And I guess this is part of the bad Wake scored 15 points on six possessions. Whew. That ain't easy to do. And they did it in less than three minutes. They were just, they just, they put on a show. They were on fire. And, and it, it's in the bad section for me because I need Duke to figure out a way to get a stop. I need Duke to figure out a way to get someone to the line, to do something to slow another team down when they're making a comeback. We've seen this too much from the Blue Devils. They can't continue to do this kind of thing where they let teams back in the game when they should be putting their foot on the throat and closing the game out. Yeah, I, I think that was also my major bad as well is that we were up 19 and we literally gave it all back and had it, you know, had something where at the end we once again had Duke fans going, oh, no, we had a lead inside the last minute and we've given it away. But I will say this. We actually won the game last night, which is something that we haven't done the last couple of times. So I like yeah. that we have the confidence where guys were saying, hey, we we had a close game. We had a scoring right. And we pulled it off still. It, yes, it took a, a tip dunk with 0.4 seconds left. But I, I think that confidence is what's going to help the next time. Because then when guys say, hey, we're in a close game, they will have the confidence to know that they can overcome that. They probably needed that. So uh, I really like that the team responded to that. But we, we got to get that under control. We can't, have, we can't give up 19-point leads in the second half. Okay. So this is going to take me to my last two things. And the first one is there's a whole lot of stupid going on at the end of that game. There was just not smart ball play. And, and it went both ways. Yeah. Three teams, Duke (laughs) wake. And we'll talk about the third team in a sec. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. But uh, yeah. So for wake forest with two minutes left, I think they were down two points at the time. They called timeout and immediately out of that timeout, like Jake Laravia takes like two dribbles and then throws the ball out of bounds. It, It was it was unbelievable. It was a gift to Duke, but it's unbelievable to me that out of a timeout, Wake couldn't even get into their offense. But the real stupid to me 
was on the part of the Blue Devils. Uh, I mentioned earlier, Paula Bancaro had that absolutely incredible block shot. Trevor Keels then saves the ball, equally great play, and he saves it to A.J. Griffin. There was about three minutes to go in the game. Duke had a lead, and A.J. Griffin comes down. He's the only guy on offense. There's no one else down there for Duke. And A.J. takes an incredibly ill-advised three-pointer. No one else is there. It's early in the shot clock. And then by miracle of miracles, AJ somehow gets the rebound, which I, I don't know how, like there were four wake guys and no one from Duke. I don't know how AJ got his own rebound on this bad three pointer that he took, but he got the rebound and he promptly turned it over. So that was the first stupid thing that happened. Then the next stupid thing was Trevor Keels who completely ignored John Shire, wanting him to call timeout. There was one minute left. Duke was up four and I was counting the seconds, Donald. If Trevor Keels just dribbles the ball around, and doesn't even take a shot, Duke's going to win this game because there's just not enough time left for Wake Forest to do anything. And I think John Shire wanted to tell the guys that. He was like, look, you know, hey. So he's trying to call timeout. Instead, Trevor Kills drives to the basket, tries to throw a pass to Mark Williams that he overthrows Mark. How hard is it to overthrow Mark Williams with 7'6 wingspan and can jump through the roof? But he overthrows Mark Williams. And so in a span of a few seconds, rather than Duke running clock, Wake is suddenly going the other direction to get a slam dunk, and suddenly the game is very, very much in jeopardy. Those were just stupid, stupid plays. And the last one, I don't know. It's not as much stupid as it is. Like, I can't believe that Duke did it was Wendell Moore committing the backcourt violation. Yes, he was pushed into the backcourt, but he shouldn't have put himself in that spot. And his teammates shouldn't have allowed him to get in that spot. They need to recognize that Wake Forest is double teaming and help bail Wendell out because Wendell had no place else to go. And Donald, you know what's happening now. This leads me into the referees. Do you, do you want to talk to about referees. this stuff first? Yeah, talk about this stuff yeah, first. Before we'll we get, get to the referees, I want to quickly go to the window more play because I think this is where fundamentals get lost. Fundamentals always get lost in crunch time. And the fundamental play there is there's three things that I think went awry. One, you don't dribble where the sideline or the or in this case, the backcourt line becomes another defender. Right. So you don't dribble towards the defenders Two, you don't dribble into a double team. And three, if you see a guy that has the ball on your team is in trouble, you go to the pass, you clap out, you yell for the ball and you get it where at least for if they get the ball to you, at least you can reset the play or you at least have three options. You know, you always talk about the triple threat, always want to be in that position. And Wendell Moore eliminated all of those like all those threats by dribbling right into the double team, right in the corner and then relying on the referees which i know we're about to talk about at that time you had no reason to suspect that they would give you the benefit of the doubt in that because they had at that point we had, we'd thrown up our heads and said we're done with them so i think you have to get away from the danger and if you see a guy that's on your team that's in danger you go to it and you get the ball from him and you restart the play all right we're going to do it here donald time to talk about the mm -hmm. refs and i hate complaining about the refs i, I think it's unseemly especially in a game that you won but the final four or five minutes of this game contained some of the worst officiating I've ever seen. And so we're going to play a little game. I'm going to give you four atrocious, horrible, terrible calls by the referees. You're going to tell me which one is worse. And you can comment on any of them that you want. Play number one is, we just discussed it, Wendell Moore going into the backcourt. And, and really what happened was he didn't dribble the ball into the backcourt. He was pushed there. He was blocked into the backcourt by the Wake Forest defense. On a play like that, I, I know the defenders are allowed to have their space, but they're not allowed to push you someplace you don't want to go. So the refs, of course, 
didn't call anything and they just called a turnover as opposed to calling a foul. That's number one. Number two, Mark Williams tipped dunk at the very end, which at first the referees called as basket interference. We're looking at the horrible calls on the replay. It's clear. They're dead wrong about that one. I don't think that one's that bad, but I'm going to put it in the category. So that's number two. Number three, when Mark Williams goes up to block the last shot by Alondis Williams, Mark Williams is under the basket. He is in vertical position. He goes straight up in the air. Alondis Williams jumps into him. Mark blocks the shot and they call it a foul on Mark. And then number four, the technical foul, the double technicals that they call on Mark Williams and uh, what's his name? Uh, Kadeem Sai, Kadeem C, sorry, for Wake Forest. Mark Williams walks over to help out his teammate. He touches Kadeem C as he walks by. Kadeem C pushes Mark Williams away and they call double technicals. So Donald, those are the four atrocious, ridiculous calls made by the refs in the final four minutes of this game. Which one was the worst? I will say the only play that I thought was correct, uh, at least in how they did it, was the tip dunk where they initially waved it off because you can't review it if it is ruled a basket at that point. If it is, they can wave it off and then review it, and that triggered the review. So at least that gave them a chance to say, oh, yes, it actually did go in, as opposed to if for some reason it, it hadn't been a legal play, they wouldn't have been able to overturn it at that point. So, all right. So they get a pass on that one. They're going to pass, get a pass on that one. I'm going to give you credit, but we'll get a pass, but it's definitely the double technical that that was absolutely just terrible because the problem with it was it took Mark Williams. It made him be less aggressive because he has a technical foul. He has an extra personal foul on there and he did nothing wrong. He literally did nothing wrong. And so, all the other things that he had to do, he had to be less aggressive. And I think that changed the courses of the game because that's part of his game is being aggressive. It's being demonstrative. And he couldn't do any of those things because if he got another technical, he'd be out of the game and we would then really be in trouble. So that's the one that really boggles my mind. That was the worst call of the night. Hey, so really quick, we're, we're done with the bad, I think. I just want to very quickly note the ACC standings because we're at a point in the schedule, a point in the season where we need to talk about the standings after each and every game. It's, it's so important and it's so close. That win by Duke has eliminated Wake Forest from the ACC race, and let me explain why, even though not mathematically, but effectively they're eliminated. Wake now goes to 10-6 and six in the ACC. Duke is 12-3. and three. Duke obviously has beaten Wake twice, so we've got the tiebreaker on them. There's no way Wake Forest is catching duke if wakes 10 and 6 and duke is 12 and 3 with a tiebreaker but duke fans i want you to continue to pay attention to wake forest because this weekend they play notre dame they host notre dame it's a game at wake wake demon deacons rest up and have a good game please we need you to beat notre dame and by the way even though wakes only 10 and 6 they've got a very favorable schedule coming home they played a really tough schedule so far i think there's every reason to expect that wake is going to win I hope they win all their remaining games, but at the most, they maybe lose one of these remaining games. I think Wake is in really good shape coming down in the ACC schedule, and, uh, and we need their help to take care of Notre Dame this Saturday. Speaking of Saturday, Duke will be playing Florida State. We're going to have a very quick preview of what to expect on our second matchup with the Seminoles right after this. All right, we're back and it's time to talk about Florida State. And the story with Florida State is 
how different they are today from the team that beat Duke just a few weeks ago. Actually, it was about a month ago. Um, when, when they beat Duke, they were 49th in the country on Ken Palm. After they beat the Blue Devils, they were in the top 50. Today, they're 102. This team has fallen more than 50 spots in Ken Palm in the past few weeks. And by the way, Bart Torvik, who I talk about a lot, he's another person like Ken Pomeroy who does advanced stats, advanced metrics. Bart Torvik's site allows you to sort teams' rankings, teams' results by dates, by date ranges. So I went ahead and I sorted how Florida State and Duke have done since the Florida State game, since the game Duke, Duke lost in Tallahassee. Since that game, Duke's been the number three team in the country. We've been playing great basketball, aside from that Virginia game. But even with that Virginia game, we're number three in the country. Florida State, since they beat Duke, is number 167. And the reason they have been so bad is because of injuries. Malik Osborne, their best player, has missed their past six games. He's out for the season. He's done. He will not play against Duke. Their latest game, they're missing Caleb Mills and Anthony Polite. Those two guys with Malik Osborne are three of their four top scorers. They've been absolutely devastated by injuries. No one knows who's going to play against Duke this weekend. Donald, tell me more about how bad Wake has been lately. I'm sorry, not Wake, Florida State. Florida State, yeah. Florida State, yeah. So they're 14 and 11 in, the, in overall and 7 and 8 in the ACC. But since we last played them about a month ago, they beat North Florida and then Miami, which was that epic battle where Miami was down 26 points or something and came all the way back and just lost by one. That was a foreshadowing for the rest of what they've been doing so far because they lost six in a row. They only broke that losing streak just yesterday against Clemson winning by one point. So they're in a real, really uh, – precarious position right now because they're trying to get back to the top half of the ACC and they're just not doing it. I will say when we go back to the game on January 18th, when we did play them, there's a couple of things that people probably thought stood, stood out to that one. This is the game where Paulo Bancaro in the second half did really touch the ball for the first 15 minutes and then just was dominant the last, you know, 10 minutes of the game. Cause that went to overtime. We eventually lost by one. We did not take care of the basketball in that game. We had 15 turnovers and Florida State only had five. And again, in a one-point game, those turnovers were a lot of missed opportunities to take shots that would have meant the difference in the game. And also rebounding. We weren't really good at rebounding. I know Florida State is now missing some guys, but this is the key here. If we can get back, we're a better rebounding team now than we were a month ago. And they are missing a lot of key guys that were involved in a lot of that rebounding. So I think that's a major key there. And also, once again, taking care of the basketball. We can make threes. That's great. But taking care of the basketball is the key to beating Florida State. And as always, shout out to Leonard Hamilton, our favorite non-Duke head coach of the pot. Yep. We love the ham man. Hey, uh, Sam's not here. So I want to really quickly talk about a couple of players that you need to be on the lookout for on Florida State. I, I mentioned that, you know, they're missing, missing Osborne and Mills and Polite. Uh, the guy who's stepped up, the guy who's taking a lot more shots, seeing a lot more minutes, is five-star freshman Matthew Cleveland from here in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, Matthew Cleveland has scored in double digits in five past six games, but, and he's doing it, by the way, by taking the ball hard to the basket. This is a guy, he doesn't shoot a lot of threes. This is a guy who just goes downhill at you in a really, really big way. But he's been pretty inefficient. He's only hitting about a third of his shots. So one of the reasons Wake has been, I'm sorry, one of the reasons Florida State has been struggling is that Matthew Cleveland's taking a lot of shots, but he's not hitting a lot of shots that's a problem for them. The other guy I want to talk about is John Butler, seven foot one freshman who was awesome against Duke. He was raining threes down on, on the Blue Devils, played great defense. He blocked the last shot that Duke had to win the game. He scored 14 points in that game against Duke a month ago. 
He has not done anything like that. Since that game, he has been a very, very pedestrian kind of player. In their past four games, he's had a total of 15 points. He scored 14 points against us, 15 points in their past four games. John Butler in their past four games, one of 11 on three-pointers. Remember how he was raining them down on Duke. So this Florida State team has really slipped a lot. They are still a very good shot-blocking team. They're still a team that gets a ton of steals. They're like one of the top 10, top 15 steal teams in the, com- in the country. But there's not much else that they're doing well these days. And they're terrible at defending the three-point line. They allow their opponents to hit better than 40%. This could be a game where A.J. Griffin really goes off. And the last thing to mention is that even though they're a good de- uh, offensive rebounding team, they're a poor defensive rebounding team. And that could be a place where Duke takes advantage of Florida State. We, we, we need to bury these guys. Ken Pomeroy says Duke's going to win this game by 16 points. That's what his computers say. I I want Duke to have a comfortable victory at home. We need to get back to having the Cameron mojo. Yeah, and we need to keep moving the ball around because last time we were able to get, I believe, 20 assists on 26 May baskets. So we were actually moving the ball around, and I think that's going to help with the three-ball situation. If we can get open shots like we've been doing lately and knock those down, Florida State's going to have a long day. That's going to do it for us here on podcast number 392. Actually, it's 392A. Or 392.2. 392.2. Yeah, 392.2. Exactly. That's what it is. Uh, the second version of me and Donald talking about these games. Uh, I hope it seems natural and, and calm and cool and, uh, and everything. <laughs> hey, folks, we need you to keep writing to us. We love when we get those emails. dbrpodcast at gmail.com. Like and subscribe. Leave us nice reviews. We love those things. We want you to do those things for us. We are missing Sam, but Donald and I were still here. And that's going to do it for this edition of the DBR podcast. If there's no major news, we'll be back over the weekend after the game against Florida State. Until then, he's Donald. I'm Jason. And this is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home.